For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers podcast is brought to you by betonline.ag. The wait is finally over, Ike. Football is back, and BetOnline is the place to be if you want to place a wager. That's what I'm starting to do. I'm starting to bet online. So, again, like Mark and Mark said, make sure y'all tune in, but make sure as well y'all go check out BetOnline. Ike, I'm in a pick'em league this year, and I'm 2-0 so far, so I have to pick a team each week to win outright. I'm 2-0 with my pick so far, so I'm feeling pretty good about that. But BetOnline's got an online casino, too, Ike. It's really any kind of wager you want to make from player props, team props, coaching props, BetOnline really is the place to be. So can you say it again? BetOnline has a what? Online casino? Online casino, and it never closes either, which... There we go. You took the words <laughs> out of my mouth. That was my, next, that was my next sentence. They never close. Head over to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. Cue the music. It's time to start the show. Welcome to the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor, IT. The Steelers held on and beat the Broncos 26-21. to 2-0 feels good. Before we get too far into the weeds with the game, though, Ike, we have a five-star review to read, and I'll do okay. that for you now. Food 32 leaves this five-star review with the title, I Love Me, Some Ike Taylor. He says, great podcast. Who better to talk about football than a guy who played 12 seasons? I love you, Ike. Hashtag 24 for life. Hey, appreciate you. Thank you, bro. I, lo- I love the name, too. Food 32. That's uh... I know, right? <laughs> All the way different. I like it. So shout out there. Any listeners that give us a five-star review, we like giving you guys a shout out here on the Believe in Steelers podcast. But Ike, 2-0 for the Steelers. And again, hanging on. And the Steelers are going to be one of 10 teams after week three that are 2-0. The other teams in the AFC, the Bills, the Chiefs, Ravens, Titans in the NFC, the Cardinals, Rams, Bears, and Packers. We'll see what happens tonight on Monday Night Football where the Saints and Raiders both 1-0 entering tonight's game. We'll see what happens there. But glass half full perspective, Ike, no injuries for the Steelers. You're 2-0. and And to me, if you looked across the league, the big picture standpoint was all the injuries with these different players across different teams. And other than the Steelers' offensive line, and their line played well in Sunday's game, you walk away unscathed, then you're 2-0 headed into week three against Houston. So that was key that you start off with injuries because you don't want any star injuries on your team. As you can see, you know how the Pittsburgh Steelers did last year when they had a star injury in Big Ben. Now that they star is back, you can see what they're starting to do. But um, we're just going to jump straight into it. I think Pittsburgh Steelers had a pretty good game. But like you said, Marky Mark, before we got on the show, I didn't like the way they finished on the defensive side. 
You know, I, I figure the offense would struggle. The Denver Broncos do have a solid defense. They got a young team, and this team is going to be good. So uh, I was on another podcast earlier during the week before I left to go see my mom, and they was asking me how I felt about the Denver Broncos offense. And I said, man, just as a team, as in general, I feel like they have a young, good team. I feel like John Elway finally starting to put the pieces around a quarterback who is a franchise quarterback between receivers, tight ends, and a running back by committee, so say so. But it's just getting back to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't think the Pittsburgh Steelers, on the defensive side, even though they had a good defensive game, because I do have them on my fantasy draft team, they gave me 20 points. But at the same time, I don't like the way they finish. And in order to be a Super Bowl winning team, you got to be able to finish games. Do you want me to go with my glass half empty perspective? Yes, the starter, I do. glass half yes, full. I do. Okay, glass half empty. Too many penalties, Ike. 10 penalties, giving up 89 yards. And to me, they let the Broncos stick around in this game. 17 to three in the first half. Like it was a race to the quarterback of which defender is going to get there first. Something I really noticed is that TJ Watt's so fast off the edge. He makes the quarterback try to evade him as a defender. And it allows the rest of the pass rushers, if, whether it's a defensive lineman, outside linebacker, if they're bringing a nickelback like Mike Hilton on a blitz, Watt makes the first move because he's so fast off the edge and the rest of the defenders can then react to how the quarterback reacts to Watt. And so I'm watching this first half and it was a dominant display of defense. Five sacks in the first half, two takeaways. Steelers finished with seven sacks overall for the game. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, this was a dominant first half performance. Broncos make adjustments at halftime. Kudos to them. But this game, the fact that if the Broncos go down and score, they may very well have won this game. It was really alarming to me. The stat that came across during the broadcast, Ike, had to do with the Steelers' halftime lead. And let me make sure I've got this right in my notes. The Steelers have blown a 14-plus point lead at halftime only once since 1987. Wow. It didn't happen Sunday, but it very nearly did, right. considering how they played in the second half. Yeah, and that's, like you say, good halftime adjustments about for the Denver Broncos and staff. But at the same time, you know, for the defensive staff of the Pittsburgh Steelers, they got to adjust as well. So what I did see for the second half adjustments by the Denver Broncos, I thought was good. What I did see what the Denver Broncos did, Mark, was to understand couple four. In cover four, if you don't know anything about football, it's quarters, which is a zone coverage to some degree across the field. And they played man. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense played quarters and man, especially around the high red zone. So the high red zone, we call that from the 30 to the touchdown. We call it a high red zone. So what they did, they did tight ends on linebackers, which was Devin Bush and Vince Williams, and they did running backs on linebackers. And what they, what they ran was pick routes, wheel routes, cover four beaters. Now, the one that Devin Bush got beat on it was a cover four beater, meaning you won't have help outside. He saw cover four, and either you're getting beat by a post if you don't have inside leverage, or you're getting beat by a corner route, which Devin Bush had got beat by that corner route. Vincent, was, it was much more of a man-on-man. And that's the problem I didn't understand. You had your foot on their throat in the first half on defense. Keep doing the same thing. I thought in the second half they got – they kind of got relaxed. They didn't have on, they foot on the throat as much as they did in the first half. 
man, go out on, take them to the deep end and drown them. But I did like the adjustment with the Denver Broncos had did, understanding quarter coverages and man coverages, understanding, man, we like our tight ends and our running backs over the Pittsburgh Steelers linebackers. And I think trying to get the ball out of Jeff Driscoll's hands, he came in relief of Drew Locke, who got hurt on that sack, which we'll break down here in a bit, Ike. But I think the Broncos made adjustments because in the first half, they give up five sacks. They turn the ball over twice, only two sacks allowed in the second half, and then no turnovers. So they made adjustments, and they hung around in this game and very nearly won at the end. Pittsburgh one of their trademarks is right. applying pressure and applying pressure from a lot of different places. One sack in 59 consecutive games. It's the longest active streak in the NFL. The record is 69. So they're only 10 games away. But again, I would have liked to have seen that same pressure, just the way that they played in the first half. I would have liked to see them repeat that in the second half. And at the very end, it's like, how is this even a game? And a lot of it had to do with the penalties too. A better team, a team that's more talented than Denver, will make you pay if you keep giving them chance after chance after chance after chance. But you're able to escape with the victory. And there's a huge difference between being 2-0 and and 0-2. And And big picture standpoint, Ike, I'm going to go glass half full now. To be 2-0 and in this league right now, and especially escaping without – any injuries unscathed essentially in this game, considering how many there were. I swear, like I had on my ticker and I was watching Red Zone too, how many different guys and stars in this league went down. And look, the best ability is availability. We say that all the time here on the Believe in Steelers podcast. And so if there's a silver lining to all this, it's that. I think Chooks Okorafor and right guard Kevin Dotson in his first start played well on the right side of the offensive line. And Dotson even got the game ball from Big Ben after the game. Ben Roethlisberger sacked only once in this game. So there were positives for the Steelers in this one and positives that they can build upon in the coming weeks. We have been talking about what you can do to help a hurt offensive line or a young offensive line. And that's what the Pittsburgh Steelers did well this game, ran the ball. James saw the competition last game between Benny Snells and how he went over 100 yards. And James kind of returned the favor, and he went over 100 yards this game. But the way you do help your team and the way you do help a young or a hurt offensive line is to run the ball. The young stud seven got on the outside between the wide receiver core. I think this might be the, the deepest wide receiver core in the league, the deepest. I'm not saying the – the best, I'm not saying the most talented. I'm just saying the deepest from what I've seen. But the best thing you can do to help a young, talented receiving core, too, is also run the ball. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, they ran the ball very effective. Ike, let's get into the four plays that really stuck out to me and running the ball, that okay. huge run by James Conner at the very end, the 59-yarder, pretty much helped seal it for Pittsburgh at the very end, and that helped him surpass 100 yards rushing in this game, something that you haven't seen him do all that often because he struggled with injury during the past two seasons. And so that to me was one of the big plays in this one. You had Terrell Edmonds sacked to give the ball back to the Steelers late in the fourth quarter that shut down the Broncos drive. They were trying to convert on a fourth and two. Chase Claypool's 84-yard touchdown, which really ripped the game open, and the rookie getting his first NFL score. 
And then Bud Dupree's forced fumble on Drew Locke. The initial pressure caused by T.J. Watt. Again, I mentioned how fast he is off the edge. And then Mike Hilton recovered the fumble. Hilton, to me as well, really stuck out in the nickelback position. He was everywhere on Sunday. Eight tackles, two sacks, two quarterback hits, and that fumble recovery as well. I think he played really, really well from that nickelback position, making plays all over the field on Sunday. Well, I felt like Mike Hilton was the MVP of that defense on Sunday, just period. I remember Mike Hilton as a rookie when I was just getting out of the league, and I had a few discussions with the front office because they were looking at his height. And, you know, I, I sit with the scouts in, in the gym. I said, man, hell with the height. Look at the plays he's making in training camp. I said, man, y'all worrying about the wrong thing. I said, football player is a football player. When you're a football player, it has nothing to do with size, height, and speed. The man just a dog. That's just Mike, man. Mike, since I've been known him since he was a rookie, since training camp, that's him. That's what he did. He's aggressive. He's fearless. He makes plays. He's just as good as any nickel or linebacker or safety in the box. In the box. So when you have a guy like that, that's definitely going to help your defense. But that, that game he had Sunday against the Devon Broncos, man, for sure he was a defensive MVP in my mind for the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. I got something I wanted to ask you on today's show is what's the difference in the locker room between being two and O and O and two. This is something that in your 12 years, you've had experience on both ends of that spectrum. What's it like in the locker room and what's the difference between the two? From a player standpoint, you always, you think you're going to go undefeated. You, you, you see the <laughs> tough games on your schedule. Like you, you, you look at like, Oh, this, 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 this could be a dog fight right here. Like you're looking at the schedule. And you're like, man, this is going to be a dogfight. But just dealing with the front office and how they think and Kevin Colvin and staff and, you know, coaching staff and, and whatnot, every quarter they like to go three and one. And I've never thought about that as a player. They said, if we can go three and one, that's 12 and four. 12 and four can get us in the dope. Probably put us at the top of the division. If we can go 11 and five, there ain't nothing wrong with 11 and five. We're going to try to stay away from 10 and six. So that's how I look at a lot of things. You know, it's 12 months out the year, and usually when we talk about either it's financial or, or politics or, or anything, it's always quarterly. What we're doing quarterly, every three or four months. And that's how the front office looked at it. And that's how I looked at, from that standpoint, I looked at life and I just looked at playing football like that. Like, man, if we go three and one every, every four games, we got ourselves a chance because we're playing 16. Here's the thing I look at too is, look at the odds, look at the stats, look at the data. Going 2-0 to start the season, your odds of making the playoffs versus going 0-2. Now, that, again, that comes Correct. with the caveat of, remember, this is the first year where both in the AFC and NFC, each conference gets one additional playoff team. So that would help a team that gets in as a wild card and is not necessarily a division winner. But if you look at traditionally of how this league's been in the past, you start 0-2 and, and you could pretty much kiss the playoffs goodbye for that season. Yeah, it's hard because... It's so hard going, winning two games in a row. One and one ain't bad right now. Out of two weeks, one and one isn't bad at all. One and two really not that bad either. But 0 oh and two, like you say, the percentages are very low of, of, of you making the playoffs. Um, with the new rule system, we'll see how that goes, but that's going to take over the course of years to really figure out. But at the same time, man, 0 oh and two, you don't want to be 0 oh and two because that's, that's, that's a lot of comebacks. That's a lot of scenarios you have to deal with when you go when you go only two. I think just a couple of other observations I made from this game on Sunday against Denver. 
I was impressed with the Steelers' special teams. Now, Deontay Johnson had a punt return touchdown. It was called back because of a penalty. You saw what he can do in the open field with the ball in his hands. It was really impressive. They had the safety on the punt in the fourth quarter. And then Ray Ray McLeod had a nice kickoff return for the Steelers too. And so you see the impact a few splash plays can make from a special team standpoint and what that can do for your team in getting a victory. I really think those three plays really helped in this game. A special team in my mind is you have one play to make it special. And that's what Deontay and company did. Now with Deontay, I can talk about Deontay for a very long time because I think Deontay is the best receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Period. He can pretty much do it all. He can do punt return. If you're looking for an explosive play, he can get explosive. If you want to line him outside of the Z or the X, he can line up outside. If you want to put him in the slot, he wants to smoke whoever. Every time you turn on a Deontay tape, he's making what Coach Tomlin likes to use, splash plays. And when you saw last year when they played the Arizona Cardinals, he, he returned one late to get them over the hump in Arizona for a punt return. Um, Deontay, just, he, he just special. But when, in, in my mind, when you can get special plays off your special team, it helps because it helps offense and defense. You know, special teams is just not a one-dimensional part of the game. Like, it's going to help either or. It's going to help by offense or it's going to help by defense. So when you can get a special player, let alone a special play off of special teams, it helps both sides. And I hope they could get Deontay his touches because clearly you can see his talent I texted you this on Sunday. This is just my opinion, Ike. I think he's pressing a little bit because he knows of his ability to make those big plays. Fumble the handoff from Big Ben early in the game. And then returning the ball inside the 10 on punts, it just drives me nuts. And this is coming from a guy who watched Devin Hester growing up. The most talented player in open space with the ball in his hands. And But it's like if you fumble like he did in week one against the Giants – that can cost you big time in a game. So I hope they can get him his touches and he doesn't feel the need to try to make something happen when there's nothing there. There's times you have to know the situation of a game, the circumstance to know, okay, I've got to pick my spots of when to try to turn it on to make a play and when to say, hey, we're just going to do the best that we can with this play and move on to the next play afterwards. I think he's pressing a little bit, but no doubt you cannot question his ability once he gets the ball in space. He's as talented as there is. No, I think you hit it on the head right there, Mark. He's pressing. You know, but when you're that good, that's what you're going to do. You're going to press till you figure it out. I'm sure Coach T, Coach Thomas probably said what you just said, probably told him, hey, bro, stop pressing. Let the game come to you. Because right now you got a lot to offer this team and the game. Just don't press try to make making big plays. Let the game come to you. So that's what I think he'll get back to, just letting the game come to him. Because last year, that's exactly what he did as a rookie. He just let the game come to him, and he was having fun. And I think that might be another issue, too, with him having fun. Him so worried about making big plays or thinking about last year. And what I think Beyonce has to do as far as, like, mindset is, dang, last year I was just having fun. And you can just tell in his body language. So I just think he – one, like you say, he needs to stop pressing. Two, he just needs to get back to having fun. And no doubt he wants to have a big year, too, because that can set him up to get that massive contract once his rookie deal is up. But, again, let the game come to him. <laughs> He'll have his opportunities. He'll have his chances. I just don't want to see him squander those chances and then end up costing the team more by trying to do 
to try to play beyond his skis or to try to be out over his skis, if you will. Again, there's no doubt about his ability, but returning a punt inside the 10, and he caught one like inside the five when he initially caught it. It's like, man, let that go. Let that bounce into the end zone. Play the next play. It's all I'm saying there. But uh, again, no doubt about his ability. A couple of other things I noticed too, Ike. After Big Ben's pick in the third quarter and he had all day to throw, defense holds strong and holds the Broncos to just a field goal afterwards. Big Ben was also going after the Broncos cornerback, Michael O.J. Mudia. And I believe he's a rookie as well. I noticed they were really targeting him from an offensive standpoint, and they were really targeting the rookie early and often in Sunday's game. Break his spirit. I mean, that was a game plan. Like, and we talked about this before. Like, like it's going to be – this is Big Ben. This is Big Ben's offense. You know, if you feel like they got a rookie on either side, man, he going to go after them. That's the game plan. And when I started, I remember my first start was in at home against Tennessee Titans. They threw at me 20 times. <laughs> was this Steve McNair? It, it was Steve uh, – What's my guy from from Texas? Vince Young. It was one. It was it, it was one of them two. Twenty times. <laughs> that was my first time starting. Twenty times. I, I I led. I think I led the league that week in tackles. I think I had like nineteen tackles. Oh my god. Some sort. Yeah, like. But I was I, I wasn't a rookie, but that was my first time starting. Mm-hmm. Is what I wanted to say. Same way. If, it's, if, if you want to start in position in training camp, whether you're a rookie or your first time really starting, I'm going to try you. That was the game plan for, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, man. Let's, let's go after this rookie. Let's break his spirit. When you break someone's spirit on the secondary at a cornerback position, it changes the whole defensive playbook because you can't call the plays you want to play. So now you get very passive when you do. But, um, I understand that quarter in that cornerback position totally. I have been a victim a few times of just let's go after Ike. Lucky, you know, a high percentage that I just held it down, but I see it from an offensive standpoint because I'm a coach and if, and I see it with my son team. Like if I see a corner that I think is weak and we're winning, I'm gonna try to break his spirit. So they tried to break his spirit. Uh luckily the man held up. It was all good, but yeah, that's I think that's 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 Big Ben. Like Big Ben, like I like my receivers on his side. Then they like that corner who's out there as a rookie. So guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go after the kid. Yeah, it's right from the frying pan right into the fire as well. And so <laughs> that was just something they kept going to his side time and time and Correct. time again. And uh, you know that's. That's life in the NFL. You can see whether he can play or not pretty early on or if he makes adjustments early on. And it's like, there's some you'll win, there's some you'll lose. But I noticed Big Ben was going on that side early and often on Sunday. Uh, Snell's fumble too late in the game. The offense can't turn it over there in that circumstance. But Snell's still a young player. He's in his second year in the league. It's going to happen from time to time. And it was just those two turnovers, Big Ben's pick and then the fumble. It was like back to back. It's like, is this happening again? And But again, defense held strong at the very end. Coach, he ain't having that fumbling, bro. Because Coach, what Coach C tell the running backs in a team meeting in front of everybody is, hey, running backs, 
y'all carrying our hopes and so if you fumble, it, whether it, that's just you, you your playing time is going to get deducted. Or I'm gonna have to cut you. One of the two. I'm curious to see whether Anthony McFarland gets some touches. I know he did not play in week one, but if he gets into the mix at all, I know they've been going he with will. Snell and with, and with Connor early on in the season. But again, that late in the game, in that circumstance, no, you've got to cover the ball. You've got to cover the ball. Yes. He, he, he will. He will. Mac will get some touches. The rookie will get from this game point because – you're going to see the rotation. I think you hit it on the head for everybody else. You're going to see the rotation, Mark. All righty. Ike, in week three, you're taking on an 0-2 Texans team, but it's the first ever Watt Bowl. All three Watt brothers will be playing on Sunday, so you've got Steelers outside linebacker TJ Watt, fullback Derek Watt facing their older brother JJ Watt, the standout defensive end for the Houston Texans. Ike, I am on the record as saying this. I believe T.J. Watt is the best of the three Watt brothers now. And again, that has largely to do with his ability to stay healthy and stay on the field. But this is going to be a family reunion of sorts on Sunday. I can't wait for this. You say you think T.J. or J.J.? I think T.J. is the best of the Watt brothers. I'm not going to disagree with that. I think T.J. is the best as well. You know, T.J. does it all. He's just on rush and try to get sacks. He can. He can cover you. You've seen him hop up last game against the Giants and got an interception. His first pick was against the Cleveland Browns in Cleveland with the interception. So he can pretty much do it all. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to go ahead and throw this out here. Don't be surprised if towards the end of his career, J.J. White is a Pittsburgh Steeler. Okay. Okay. We'll get the trifecta of the Watt brothers in Pittsburgh. I see you, Ike. Right. I see. I heard, like. I heard what Coach T said. Coach T said you can't have enough watts on your team. So <laughs> as, as, as soon as he said that, I'm like, I'm saying if JJ feels like he's good financially, which I think he is, he's willing to come to Pittsburgh and be a play with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's what I'm saying in my head. All all off of what Coach Tomlin has said about the White family. Well, I feel like on a national landscape, a lot of people would listen to this and be like, oh, you're just a homer picking TJ over JJ. And it's like, no, like look at on-field production, look at the numbers, look at the tape. TJ Watt has slayed and stayed on the field. JJ Watt's been hurt like three of the last four seasons where he hasn't played right. in all 16 games. So right. that's largely my argument there. But I feel like some people might listen to that and just be like, you're being a homer, you're being a yinzer. And that's not the case here. I, I genuinely believe TJ is the best of the three Watt brothers. I believe he's better than his brother JJ on the Texans. I am adamant about that, too. Well, we will say it again. Availability is the best ability. So, so far, TJ Watt has been more available than his brother JJ. Don't get me wrong. JJ is a grown. He's a grown-ass man. Please, please don't get me wrong for that. But uh, he, like you said, the last three or four years, he's – He's had some health issues, and the issues have been him staying on the field consistently. So the Steelers are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. Again, this, uh, this one will be at Heinz Field. No fans again, but we'll see what happens in October. I know some fans are allowed in other stadiums, and we'll see what happens there in Pittsburgh. Ike, it was kind of a wacky week, too. I know you were watching that Cowboys game with some of your family. That onside kick – 
the voodoo of the onside kick and how that ball spun is right. something I'm still trying to wrap my brain around. It, what an right. unbelievable game. So I'm sitting here because a few of my homeboys, they big Dallas fans because they live in Dallas. So we all at the crib, right? And, you know, they head down. I said, look, man, I said, look, football is a 60-minute ball game. And, you know, they, they pissed off because Dallas loses, so I get number F-bombs. So they 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 f bomb me, man. F you act, man. You don't know the game is over. With. What's that? What's what's the the percentage of this happening, man? Like f you f you. I'm like, man. I'm telling y'all, man. It's it's sixty minutes, bro. It's just like anything can happen in football. And little do you know. So the kicker wind up doing a little funky, a little funky, a little funky catch up top bottle spin on that ball all the way for ten yards. Puts everybody in the matrix. Makes everything like a slow motion. That play was slow motion all day. Right? All day. That play was in slow motion all day. Was in slow motion. Fans who was watching ain't know what to do or know what to say. Coaching staffs ain't know what to do or know what to say. And damn, then the players on the field ain't know what to do or know what to say because they, they've never seen nothing like that. Usually when you do an on-size, the ball tumbles, hops, hops. Now I'm getting a catch-up bottle, spinning, football. Man, what the hell do I do? So I put everybody in a funk position. I'm talking about who's watching that game worldwide, everybody, including the players, in a funk position. But um, they wind up getting the ball back. They, meaning Dallas, wind up getting the ball back, wind up getting the field goal range, and wind up winning the game. So, you know, that was the point I was proving to them, like anything can happen in these 60 minutes, man. It's not 57 minutes. It's not 59 minutes and 30 seconds, man. The game is over when everything strikes zero all the way across the board in football. And that was crazy how the game ended because you and I were talking about it. And I thought for sure Dallas might have would have took another L, but at the same time, I was like, you know what? Man, I got to retreat and go back to what Coach said, man. Coach said, man, this is a 60-minute ball game. You're not wrong, though. At least your friends weren't wrong, Ike, because teams were 440 and zero. Went scoring 39 points with zero turnovers. <laughs> the Falcons, that. it's like deja vu from the Super Bowl a few years I ago when it was 28 to 3 against New England. So it's like, oh, yeah, uh, this has never happened to the Falcons before. Uh, just, just kidding. Just kidding. But it was just like that. <laughs> like, second, okay. time they second time it happened to them. I mean, what's really going on over there with the Dirty Birds? Dirty Birds really acting dirty. They need to clean, they, they need to clean the act, though. They need to clean the egg up and start getting the clean birds because the dirty birds ain't been doing too good. It's amazing to me. Some of the teams that are 0-2 and, and the Falcons are one of them where I'm just like, are they really that bad? And it's a few plays here and there in every game. The Lions are the same way in week one. DeAndre right. Swift catches an open pass for a touchdown and the Lions beat the Bears in week one. How different is the narrative there with now Mitch Trubisky is 2-0 and and everything too. So it's like, a couple plays here and there. I mean, last night's Sunday night game with the, the Patriots and the Seahawks came down to the last play as well. So it's like, it shows you. It's one or two plays here and there. It's a game of inches. That was an instant classic game last night between the New England Patriots and the Seattle Seahawks. And the reason why I think it was an instant classic game was because you have a reemerging former league MVP in Cam Newton goes to a team which everybody thinks he's not going to get along, like it's going to be some big disagreement. He's not a patriot kind of Bill Belichick guy. Here's my thoughts on that. 
I think for Cam, it's refreshing to have a head coach like Bill Belichick. I think for Coach Belichick, it's refreshing to have an athlete of that talent for Cam. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, okay, I've been stuck. And I don't mean saying being stuck. But I've been with the same woman for 20 years. And we had we had more ups than downs. Uh, I, w- I will I will agree with that. But man, I got somebody. I got some, I got I got some special right here. I got something a little bit different. And I think I think that's I think that's Cam. And as we can see, Cam has humbled himself enough to take the coaching of Coach Belichick. But I didn't play with James Harrison. He told me about Belichick. I didn't play with Ben Jarvis. Ellis, he played with Coach Belichick, the running back from Ole Miss, from New Orleans. They say, man, Coach Belichick just is cool. He's he a cool dude. Now, he's different with the media. But far as like a coach, he just wants you to know what the hell you're doing all the time. That's all he wants. But to see Cam go through that, then to see Russell Wilson finally, finally start to speak out. And this is his ninth year. And I feel like he should have had a few league MVPs. We really don't give him enough credit because of where he's at. He's not really talked about. When you're all the way up the left side of the United States, up at the top, you damn near by Canada, ain't nobody really talking about you. He's matured. This is Russell Wilson's team offense now, in, in my mind. Excellence is just expected from Wilson at this point with his on-field play. Going back to Cam, Ike, I think kind of the analogy I would make would be your new girlfriend or new significant other needs right. to be different in some way compared to your ex. And right. that's kind of what Belichick has with Cam Newton in that he's a different style quarterback than Brady was. Not that both styles can't be Correct. not that both styles can't be successful, but how they're successful is different. I think the defensive mindset of Coach Belichick, even though they didn't have a really good defensive game against the Seattle Seahawks, the quarterback he has will help him. They're not going to score a lot of points often. But when you got a quarterback who's a, a extra runner, it's going to help you in many ways when it comes down to first downs and controlling the clock. So you're not going to have as many three and outs, so say. I don't know if they're going to pick up through – free agency a receiver a deep threat but if they do it they're going to be held but I think for the style of play that coach Belichick's Belichick like on defense it's going to help having a quarterback like Cam who can also run as well as pass the ball okay so the trade deadline lands the Tuesday after week eight so we're still several weeks away from the trade deadline and if the Patriots can get a guy We'll see what happens. But, Ike, this goes back to a point where you always make, where you talk about the elite-level coaches in this league, that they change their game plan to the personnel that they have. And the Patriots are clearly doing that with Cam Newton. They're not trying to run the same offense that, oh, okay, that they had with Tom Brady. They're going to use the parts and the pieces and use the strengths and skill sets of the players on their roster. And the best coaches do that in this league. Well, Mark, I go back to the offseason. And what I mean by going back to the offseason, they say Bill Belichick is probably one of the most active NFL head coaches who always visited Nick Saban and anybody in college football. 
he always have a heads up or he's always a step ahead, a step ahead of pretty much the majority of the NFL coaches because he loves going back to college and understanding and asking Nick Saban, what the heck you got going on or asking the college college coach, how would you use Cam in this system? So that's what I like about Coach Belichick. His ego is with the media. His ego is with the media. Like he, he'll let you know he ain't really messing with the media like that. But far as like play calling adjustments, understanding personnel, there's no one better than Coach Bill Belichick. You know, between every game, if you got 16 games, Coach Belichick, in my mind, I think he's one of the only coaches who can have a 16 different game style game plan in the NFL, you know, if he wants to. So uh, I just rewire my mindset and understanding the offseason. You know, Coach Belichick spends a lot of time in Florida with the Florida Gators and with Nick Saban at the Alabama Crimson Tide. So that's just letting me know as a player, a former player, Coach Belichick is really in tune, not only with the young generation, but what's going on and how he can translate what's going on in college to the NFL. That's unbelievable to me that he can just check his ego, regardless of his interactions with the media, Mm -hmm. because... Mm -hmm okay, they cover you the perception. I'm not going to argue against six Super Bowl rings. I'm not, I'm not right. going to do that. And if he even gets this team close to the playoffs, post-Brady era with the lack of offensive weapons, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that. Right. I think a large reason why Brady left in the first place is he's looking at this roster and saying, how can we be better than we were a season ago when we got knocked out by the Titans? I'm going to go. I'm going to see what's in Tampa after 20 years. And we don't need to fully relitigate that, but to check his ego at the door and to get the most out of Cam Newton, Cam Newton's making less than 10 mil a year this year. They're still effectively renting him or leasing him. After this season, Cam Newton's going to get paid, my man. Cam Newton, he's going to get another contract again based on how he plays this season and early on, that's looking very promising with how he's played for the New England Patriots. Don't forget, they still they still figuring each other out between, you know, the offensive coordinator, Bill Belichick, and Cam. They're they still trying to see what they can do with this offense and utilizing Cam Newton. So after week four, I think that's going to be the identity on offense. When you, see, when you see the New England Patriots, and that's pretty much for the whole part of the NFL, after week four, this is what we do. This is who we are. And, and this is what you're going to see. Now, we're going to have some wrinkles, you know. And my game plan, and I'm talking like Coach Belichick, my game plan will be better than yours. That's how I feel. And I'm talking as I'm Coach Belichick. But at the same time, everybody pretty much figuring each other out. And it looks good because our thoughts when Cam went to New England was probably a slower process than what we see, how successful they are so early now. So that's what I'm saying. I think Coach Belichick is smiling in the, in the inside. He's like, man, I got me a whole new different kind of car and sitting in this garage. And Cam, like, man, I got an unbelievable coach who's on the next two, three doors down from me. Ike, as we start to wrap up here, are there any other storylines from week two that you'd like to discuss? Again, for me, the big takeaway was the injuries that we saw across the league, and that's something that the Steelers avoided in week two. Is there anything else you want to discuss here before we wrap up? Well, yes, it is. I, and we talked about this last week, Mark, but I'm going to keep talking about it to somebody catch on to it. For this pandemic and not having a preseason, 
you're starting to see a lot of rookies on the field and not making a lot of rookie mistakes on the field. That has everything to do with studying and wanting to get on the field. Um, I think the preseason might crutch you a little bit mentally because you know you have a little bit room for error when you go during the preseason. And that's from a front office standpoint. That's from a coaching staff standpoint. That's from a player standpoint. Now that you don't have that, you have to be on your SH all the time. And this is what you're seeing from a coaching standpoint, from a draft point, from a front office standpoint to a player standpoint. I'm starting to see more rookies, more rookies get on the field and play well and make plays. Change ain't bad is what I want to say. And to do that without OTAs, with a, a different style of training camp this year, without any preseason action, I just hope for the most part, by and large, people can stay healthy, players can stay healthy. When you see guys like Saquon go out with the ACL or it looks like Christian McCaffrey is going to miss several weeks, a lot of the big-time stars that are going to miss large amounts of the season, if not the full season in some circumstances, you hope everyone can stay healthy, but that opens a door that provides an opportunity to a lot right. of the young players in the league, and a lot of them are taking advantage early on in this 2020 season. But, Ike, I want to thank the listeners of the Believe in Steelers podcast. Please go give us a five-star review wherever you listen to the show. We will read the best five-star reviews from Apple Podcasts. We did that today from right. – Food 32. I still love that name, Ike. But uh, right, right, right. this was fun. Ike, I appreciate too. And uh, thanks to our sponsors, betonline.ag as well. I uh, want to thank Food. Was it Food 32? Food 32. For the five-star review. want to thank BetOnline, of course. want to thank my dog. My dog, meaning Mark and Mark. Mark Bergen. We just appreciate everybody tuning in to the Believe in Steelers podcast every week. Appreciate everything, all the support. I'm, I guarantee y'all this podcast will get better. Mark, I do have some good news. I wanted to talk to the head man. The head man, he shot me a nice little text back. We was going back and forth for a minute, so we'll talk about this offline. But there's nothing better than good news. So I want to appreciate everybody, appreciate everybody for just talking, not talking, but reviewing us and just listening to us, man. We'll, we'll keep this Stillest podcast going from week to week. Peace. Ike, that is called a tease in the business. So stay tuned to the Believe in Steelers podcast because we have big things planned for the show. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you next week. Take care and so long, everybody. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.